0: Uh, Well, good morning, uh, First Baptist Church of Hollywood. You'll notice that uh, Pastor Richard is not up here this morning. Uh, Pastor Richard is going to be doing the evening service tonight, and he's going to be continuing in our study on Hebrews. And so if you haven't joined us for an evening service yet, I encourage you to come out tonight as we continue in our study from the book of Hebrews. But as it stands now, uh, we're going to be opening up God's Word this morning to the book of Matthew. Matthew. Uh, Matthew is where Pastor Richard has been leading us throughout the course of these past few months, and we continue in our study from the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Again, it is Matthew chapter 5, wherein we'll be reading verse 7 today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for... The reading of your word and also the understanding of your word that we are about to undertake. Lord, we know that we do so by the power of your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And so as we move forward here in this text here this morning, God, I pray that as we, as we do so, that we would submit ourselves humbly to you, recognizing that you alone convict, you alone teach, and you alone lead us. Lord, help us and guide us as we go throughout Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, where we, wherein we learn about this wonderful word called mercy. And Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that you would use these words now to inspire us and convict us and to stir up within us the desire to live a life full of mercy as you have been so merciful to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Scripture tells us of a wicked and evil man who had a count, countless indictments laid out against him. And as you read of these indictments that I'm going to read of in just a few moments, you're going to you're going to be almost dumbfounded at these indictments that are laid out against this individual. A number of verdicts have come about in this man's life. And, uh, and as we read through it, you, you have to be wondering, what did this man do? In Psalm chapter 109, verse 6 through 15, we read of this man. And you could turn there if you'd like. Psalm chapter 109 verses 6 through 15. We read of this wicked and evil man who has a number of verdicts laid out against his life. In Psalm 109, verse 6, it says this, Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few and may another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has and may strangers plunder the fruits of his toil nor to any to pity his fatherless children may his posterity be cut off and may his name be blotted out in the second generation may the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out let them be before the lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth these verdicts that are laid out against this man have you wondering what evil this man has committed but we see just in verse 16 the evil that this man has committed In verse 16, we see the charge that is against him. He writes, "...for he did not remember to show mercy, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death." All the charge that laid on this man's account was the simple fact that he did not remember to show mercy. The verdict of having his family have nothing, having no food for for them to eat, having no place for them to live, having the creditor seize all that this man has... May the strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let nothing that he does go to him, but instead go to everyone else. Let this man have nothing in his life simply because he refused to show mercy. It seems as if it's a very unfair or unjust verdict that is laid about on this man's life, but it is what God's Word says and it is what God's Word has for this man's life because he did not remember to show mercy. And that is what the command, albeit it, is an indirect command that we see for us today in Matthew chapter five verse seven. "Be merciful and you will receive mercy." And if we aren't merciful, we could read this, this verse in Matthew chapter five verse seven, kind of in a negative light or in a negative tone, and it we could read as this: "Cursed are those who are merciless, for they shall not receive mercy." We can look at this verse from either a positive or a negative, and it comes back to the same meaning. comes back to the same command that we are to show mercy. We are to have mercy because our Heavenly Father has had mercy upon us. It is oftentimes that we'll read these Beatitudes, and they're very short statements, very simple statements seemingly, but behind these words, or behind these statements that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ makes is a great deal of meaning. You take, for example, this statement of being merciful. We might read over this statement and simply see it as something that we maybe ponder for five or six minutes or so and move on to the next, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. But we miss out on all that is for us from this great verse in 5 Chapter 7. All that is from this chapter or verse here in verse 7 is that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Though it is a very short statement, it carries behind it a great deal of meaning, and all of us, all of us are to gain something from it today. You can imagine, as Jesus said these words, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, that there was a number of reactions that came about from a statement like this. Going up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. We know that it was not only his disciples that came to him, they probably came near to him, but there were as many, there was crowds that had gathered, and so there certainly was a number of reactions that may have come about from this statement of blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You can imagine that there were individuals that were leaning forward as they were listening to the savior of the world teach them on what it is to give mercy. You can imagine that there were some also that have said, well, I've heard this before, I don't need to hear it again, I understand what mercy is, and there's nothing for me to gain from this text, and so they tune them out. And even going further, there might be some that would say, well, oh yes, I do this perfectly. I know exactly what it means to have mercy on individuals, so he's not telling me anything I don't already know. I am perfect. I am the supreme example at giving mercy. And we also know from earlier context in Matthew chapter 3 that there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were the self-righteous, ritualistic doers of the law, they surely would have been there and as they heard this statement that they were to be merciful and then they in turn would receive mercy from God, they often would scoff at this idea because to give mercy was something for weak individuals to do, not for those that are strong. An individual who was to show mercy was a weak individual. It was someone who didn't have all their things together. It was someone who cared about too much of these individual sufferings and not so much about themselves. It was a, meek man, a weak man who showed mercy just as it was a weak man who had meekness, as we learned of a few weeks ago. It was considered among many that mercy was a great sign of weakness. And if mercy ever was to be shown toward another, it was so that the individual who was showing mercy would receive something back from them. It was often as if they would go about and say, well, I gave you this, and so now you give me that. Or, or I did this for you, and when are you going to repay me? It was a false sense of mercy that, that it is not mercy at all. It's not mercy at all, but rather what it does when individuals so, show mercy simply for themselves to receive mercy back from that individual is it makes them, that, it makes that individual their slave or their debtor, thinking as if, well, they helped me out, and so now I must help them. That's not mercy at all. That is false mercy, if you want to give it a definition. It's false mercy. It's not not mercy at all. It is a control tactic used by self-righteous individuals who are seeking only their gain, only their profit, and only their pleasure. And that is a mercy that none of us should ever show. This is a mercy that must never be the driving force in our lives, but we will learn more on that just a bit later. There were also some among them of the Pharisee group who thought of themselves of having no need to show mercy simply because they thought that individuals who were poor, needy, widowed, hungry, broken, destitute, whatever you might call it, anyone who was in need, they saw that as a judgment upon that individual's life from God. And so therefore they would say that they were uh, usurping God's judgment on these individuals' lives and they had no need to show them any mercy at all. They would say, well, well, they are being punished by God, so why would I take away God's punishment from them? They saw mercy as usurping God's judgment. Because as these individuals were poor and and hungry and and widowed and, and broken, they would say, well, they must have sinned in order to have this punishment from God. And so they would say, well, I have no need to show them that mercy because God is punishing them. Whatever line of people that we might find ourselves in today, we may be those that are leaning forward in to hear the words of our wonderful Savior. We may be those that have said, well, I've heard this all before, and so I don't need to hear this again. We may be another that says, well, yeah, I know this, I do this, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, and so I'll listen, but I'm not really learning anything new. Or some of us may even be among the self-righteous who say, well, I have no need to show mercy because these people deserve what they have uh, have against them. These people deserve what they have against them. And so whatever group we might find ourselves in today, what we're going to learn just as those that were among Jesus's day, what we're going to learn is that these individuals, these individuals learned that as they saw that the one who truly thirsts and hungers for righteousness is one who belongs to Christ, and as an individual belongs to Christ, having the new birth come from Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will have a merciful response to the needs of others, and as a result, they will receive mercy from God. As a result of their mercy that they extend to others, they themselves will receive mercy from God. Not in a salvice, 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 salvatory, salvation sense, that's the word I'm looking for. Not in a salvation sense, but they will receive mercy from God. As these individuals who have received all the mercy that they could handle from God, endless mercy from God, as a result of this mercy, as a result of their new birth, they are going to extend mercy to others. And so as we look at this text here today, we're going to learn three things from this text. First, we are going to see mercy's meaning. Secondly, we are going to see mercy's source. And finally, we are going to learn of mercy as it is applied. And so first we look at mercy's meaning. We have already learned, as you remember, the first week that as Pastor Richard began to teach us through this text, that the word to be blessed means to be happy. And so there's no need to look any further. We could read this text in verse 7, Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But in order for us to be happy as we are merciful, in order for us to receive mercy as we give out mercy, we must understand what mercy is. If we have an improper understanding of what mercy is, well, then everything else is going to be disrupted. Everything else is not going to fall into place. It's going to be chaos. We may think that we're giving out mercy, but in turn, we're actually just giving out uh, enablement or or self-pity or or, or fake pity or or we're just giving based upon upon our pride. And so mercy's meaning meaning is, is going to be something that we must understand as we move forward in this text here this morning. The Greek word for mercy is eleemon, And as we might find this word translated differently throughout our text, uh, many of us would see in our text that the word mercy or the word eleemon is translated mercy here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. But as this word appears throughout the New Testament, we're going to see it translated in a few different ways. And, and the, the different words that it's translated in all carry the same meaning. This word can be translated as having loving kindness towards an individual. This word could also be translated as having pity towards another or having compassion on another or having steadfast love for that individual. And as we see it here today, we read of it as being mercy. All different words in our English language that this word is translated from, but they all carry generally the same meaning. And mercy has itself a general meaning of giving help to the afflicted and rescue to the helpless. Mercy is giving help to the afflicted and rescue to the To the helpless. And as W.E. Vine defines mercy, he defines it as being the feeling of sympathy over the misery of another. He continues to add that it is especially sympathy manifested by the act. And so not only is mercy the feeling of sympathy for another, having a worry about another's life or or seeing the needs of another and having that sympathy, but mercy is always manifested in the act. Otherwise, it is just a false sense of mercy or a false sense of compassion because mercy by itself, if you do nothing with it, it does not become mercy. Mercy, as it is manifested, becomes manifested by the act. What mercy does is it fills us with an emotion of compassion towards another's uh, shortcoming and we see their suffering and we try as best as we are able to meet that need. If we leave it here without feeling, just, just feeling this moment of compassion, without doing anything to help that individual, without anything helping that individual, we, we, we fall short on doing what mercy actually is. Mercy is not so much as just saying, as seeing someone who is hungry or seeing someone who needs clothes and saying, oh, I feel really bad for them and then doing nothing about it. That is not mercy. That is not the biblical example of mercy. If God saw that as the definition of mercy, all of us would be lost in our sins because as God has seen us lost in our sins, He has done something about it. He has not left us lost in our sins, but has sent us His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, having mercy on our souls, having Jesus being the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's important also for us to note that mercy must not arise out of the desire for us to get something in return, or for us to get something or to look good before others. If we have mercy on an individual in order for us to look good towards another or to have appeasement before our brothers and sisters in Christ, that is also a false sense of mercy. If we do this to receive the praises of men, well, then it becomes a legalistic ritual that never truly satisfies and it certainly does not please God. If we do this in order to please our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we do this simply because we feel that we're going to get the praises of man, well, then we are also exerting forward a false sense of mercy that is a ritualistic mercy like that of the Pharisees. If we go forward into Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 6, we see our Lord condemning the Pharisees for this type of practice. In Matthew chapter 23, rather, in verses 1 through 6, we see this condemnation and these woes that our Lord has on the Pharisees. It says in Matthew 23, verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they will tell you, but not the works they do. "...for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues." And then going forward or further down into verse 23, as he places his woes on these scribes and Pharisees, our Lord says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so our Lord, as He condemns these scribes and Pharisees for having this false sense of mercy, this idea that if they do these things before men, they will receive praises of men and and men will think that they are good and men will think that they are so religious and great and all the uh, the perfect example of the law. As God has said and as Jesus has said in these woes, these men have done nothing of the sort. These men have not shown mercy. They have performed a ritualistic legalism that is not satisfying. It does not please God. It pleases themselves. And it does not have any benefit to either individual. It is a false sense of of mercy they have neglected to even give mercy at all though on the outward they seem to have been having mercy on these individuals they've done it they have done it in order to please men they have done it in order to show their works before men and they have received their reward in full from men but God is not satisfied with that type of mercy as we see from these past few minutes on this definition of mercy mercy itself is not so much a feeling but an action Mercy manifests itself in the outworking of good for another and the free gift of mercy that we extend to that individual. Giving to that individual freely without expecting anything in return. Doing it out of the kindness of our heart. Simply put, as mercy fills our minds or as we we see with our eyes the, the destitute life that an individual leads and we feel in our heart the desire to help them because of the mercy that God has had upon us, we go out and we share whatever it is the Lord has made us able to share with these individuals, and we do so, and it is pleasing before the sight of God. Mercy is not only a feeling of compassion towards another, but also meeting that need. And as we have looked at this definition of mercy, you might be saying to yourself now, do I show mercy? Or do I show mercy in this way? Or do I show it in the wrong way? Do I have a false sense of mercy? Do I show mercy in order to appease my brothers and sisters in the Lord? Do I show mercy in order to appease my co-workers or my friends or, or anyone that is before me? Do I do it in this way? Or you might ask yourself the question, when was the last time I even had mercy for another? Does my heart even break for these individuals that are suffering? Or have I ever even showed mercy at all? Regardless of if you have asked yourself any of these questions, surely all of you have thought this. Where is it that this mercy comes from? What is its source? How can I have this feeling of mercy for these individuals? Where does this source of mercy come from? Which brings us to our second point. Mercy, mercy has its source as God. God is the source of of mercy, Our ability to show mercy towards mankind is based upon the limitless mercy that we have received from God. Our ability to show it comes from our new life in Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, no man can show true mercy. It is impossible because they are doing it for the wrong reasons. But in our new life in Jesus Christ, after we have been received into the body of believers, we have received the fullest sense of mercy from God in the salvation of our sins. And as a result of that, we can apply true mercy to the life of those that are hurting and in need. Seeing as mercy having God as its source, the psalmist writes in Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. Mercy alone belongs to God. And then also in Micah chapter 7, verses 18, he writes, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over our transgressions for the remnant of His inheritance. He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in mercy. Our God is a God of mercy, and for us as sinful men and women alike, none of us desire in mercy. All of us in our self-seeking and prideful actions would never desire to give true biblical mercy to others because we had never received that great mercy from God, but as we have received mercy from our God, who is truly a God who is merciful on us, every last one of us, every last one of us are able to give mercy to others. Because every single one of us, as believers in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have received mercy from God. Now that's not to say that the world has not received mercy from God. God certainly does show mercy on, on an individual who has breath in their lungs. Because God is over all mankind, because God is sovereign over all mankind, it's not as if He only shows mercy to the Christian, but He also shows mercy to the world. The fact that He allows for the sun to rise up and to set in the evening is merciful. It is a part of the mercy of God. The fact that we have breath in our lungs is by the mercy of God. The fact that we were able to wake up this morning and to live a new day is by the mercy of God. The fact that we have answered prayers are the result of God's mercy towards us. The answered prayers, the friendships that we have are are a result of God's infinite mercy towards us. Our work lives, our family lives, everything that we have, all that encompasses our being is a result of the mercies that we have received from God. Every moment that we wake, every step that we take, every breath that we breathe is a result of God's mercy on our lives. Every individual can make the claim that they receive mercy from God. But most notably for us, The mercy that we have received from God comes from our salvation from sins, from the free gift of mercy we have received in Jesus Christ our Lord. Without Christ, all of humanity is condemned in their sins. Without Christ, all of us are in need of mercy for the forgiveness of our sins. All of us are destitute and broken and in need of salvation from our sins apart from Jesus Christ. Though on the outward we may look as if we have all things together, we are not uh, broken, we are not hungry, we are not poor, we are not uh, lacking in clothes or shelter. All of us, all humanity apart from Christ is evil and wicked on the inside and our bodies are rotting away in our flesh and it is not able to be seen by the human eye. But God in His infinite wisdom and in His infinite knowledge sees this evil and wickedness of mankind Though it may seem as if they are perfect on the outside and have no need of mercy, they are a rotting corpse destined to spend an eternity in hell. They have no mercy. They have no mercy. Though they receive some temporal mercies where God uh, lights up the day for them, where God gives them breath in their lungs, if they continue on in this path without having received the mercy of Jesus Christ for the salvation of their sins, they are dead in their sins and will spend eternity in hell. But praise God for the mercy that we have received in Jesus Christ our Lord. Without Jesus Christ, we can cry out to God, saying, look God, I showed mercy on this individual, or look God, I loved my family today, or, or look God, I, I gave some food to this individual, or I gave some clothing to this individual, or, or I was very nice to these people, or I did all of these things in Your name, God. But if we do it apart from Christ, it is nothing before God. It is dirty rags before God, and it has nothing. it has nothing to gain for our salvation because our salvation was gained freely in the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is God's greatest mercy upon all mankind. We can work and work and work and work and work and work and try to appease all the aspects of the law, but we will always fall short and we will never measure up to the perfection and the holiness of God and all of us will be falling short and if we are a part of Christ, we will be condemned in our sins. Our works could never amount to the perfect life that Christ, our Savior, Jesus Christ, lived. As Christ lived this perfect life for you and I in order to carry the full weight of our sins on the cross, God's mercy was forever opened up to all who would believe unto Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. God's streams of mercy flowed out freely for any man or woman alike who would see the great need of their sin and believe unto Jesus Christ for the saving of their souls. And as they believed unto Jesus Christ for the saving of their souls, God counted them as righteous in His sight because they are imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They are made holy before the sight of God because of the atoning sacrifice of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is mercy applied from God Himself. God, who is the infinite One, who gives His mercy before all mankind, has given His ultimate mercy in the gift, the free gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. We have no need to work for our salvation because Jesus Christ has paid it all. God, in His infinite mercy towards us as broken sinners in need of the Savior, has took on flesh in order to redeem us of our sins and to give us eternal life with Him. A song that we sing quite often here certainly rings true to us now. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. And I'll let the choir sing that song for you. But you know the song. You've sung it many times here at First Baptist Church. It is such a true song that we sing every Moment that we sing it, we receive the fullest extent of God's mercy in the free gift of His Son's his Son's blood and death on the cross, and that's Jesus Christ. Mercy has indeed come from God. But this mercy that we received in Jesus Christ is, does not stop with the salvation of our sins. It does not not stop with us being redeemed of our sins and no longer being condemned to an eternity in hell, but it extends itself to the fullest extent of all things that man could ever want. It brings us to glory with God in heaven. It is not as if we become once we die, we just don't go to hell. But we don't go to hell, but we also go to heaven. We We are not just freed from hell, but we are freed into the eternal life with Jesus Christ where we experience the holiness of God, where we can see the fullness of His splendor, where we are in perfection with Him for eternity. It is not so much that we have just received salvation from our sins because that would indeed be enough, but going further, we have received eternal life with God. And we will receive the new heaven and the new earth on that final day. Not only do we receive the forgiveness of our sins in this life, but we also, we also are enabled in this life part, as we receive this new life in Jesus Christ, this new life that is found to us in the, birth, the rebirth that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we believe unto Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we are immediately washed with the Holy Spirit of God who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance that we will gain on that final day. And as we receive the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God enables us to live a life of good works. Works that are pleasing to God. And one of the works that we are enabled to give out is this gift or this work of mercy. It is not so much that we are merciful simply just because we have received the mercy of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, but God enables us to live a life that is merciful because we have received also the promised Holy Spirit, which enables us to live a life that is pleasing to God, our Lord and Savior. Because all of us know that mercy is not a natural attribute that we just have. True mercy, that is. I've mentioned this false sense of mercy that many individuals alike continue to portray as being what true mercy actually is. They go and they they help the the homeless. They feed the poor. They clothe the sick. They go and, and visit those that are in need, but they do it only to be receiving praises of mankind. They don't do it because they themselves have received mercy from God. They do it with the wrong intentions, and therefore it is a false mercy. But as we have received mercy from God, as God has placed within us His Holy Spirit, we are enabled to live out this life full of godly mercy. And now certainly it is not as if we're going to be living it out perfectly. We're going to fail. We're going to struggle. We're going to mess up. But the overall aspect or overall characteristic of our life will be a life that is applying mercy in the way that God has applied mercy to us. Which brings us to our third and final point. What does mercy look like as it is applied? What does mercy look like as it is applied? How do we apply this mercy that we have so freely received? When we think about applying mercy, we might often find our minds thinking to uh, giving food to the poor or or giving clothing to those that are naked or giving uh, uh, food to the homeless or or giving money to the the, the homeless shelters or or seeing any individual's need and and simply helping them with that uh, kind of... uh, Temporal need, what you can see, the needs that you can see that these individuals have. That is often what we think of when we think of uh, expressing mercy towards an individual. And while this is not altogether wrong, if we miss out on on giving mercy to their soul first, we do not give mercy as God has intended for us to give it. If we just give out mercy in order to feed someone or to clothe someone or to uh, maybe help this temporal need that these individuals have, we miss the mark altogether if we do not first consider their soul If we do not consider their soul, their soul which could be lost for an eternity in hell because of the state of their sin, we have missed the mark of mercy altogether. For what good is it if we feed the mouth but not the soul? If we feed the mouth and we feed the mouth every single day but their soul is still lost in their sins, we have extremely missed the mark. We have missed the mark so much so that this person, though we have fed them, we have not given them the gift of Jesus Christ. We have not given them the bread of life that is found in Jesus Christ. As we apply this mercy that we have received from God, we must first apply it in the mercy and having mercy on people's souls. We must have soul mercy, if you would call it that. It's not so much mercy towards these individuals' temporal needs. That is noble for us to do, but if we do it without considering first the state of their soul, again, we miss the mark. Every person who has yet to repent of their sins and believed unto Jesus Christ has the greatest need of all. Though it may seem on the outside that they are not hungry, they are not naked, they have a home over their head, they have a car that they can drive, they have money in their pocket, these individuals have the greatest need of all, and that is salvation from their sins. We often think of mercy as, as seeing the need of an individual who is, who is naked and needs something, but the inward heart of man that has not been set free from sin in Jesus Christ alone is a man who needs the greatest mercy of all. On their outward appearance, they look as if they are great and good and have no need for us, but inwardly their flesh is rotting away by the damage that is caused by the sin in their life. Their body reeks of evil and sin, and they are in need of salvation from their sins. And as I have mentioned earlier, that mercy is having need or seeing the need of an individual and having the ability to remedy that need. And all of us, have that remedy for that individual who needs salvation from their sins. We have the remedy, and that remedy is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will free these individuals from the weight of their sin, taking on all of their sin, and, and putting on His righteousness before them, freeing them from death in eternity in hell. In applying mercy to these souls, we call them to repentance just as we ourselves have been called to repentance. We call them to repentance in their sins. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your lives and you will have salvation for your soul. Surely you do not have need in an amount of food or, or money, but you have the greatest need of all and that is freedom from your sins. And that is the most merciful thing that we can do to any man or woman alike in calling them to repentance from their sins. Having mercy on their souls. We must not rejoice in a sinner's lost state, but rather weep at their lostness. We must see that this is an individual who is destined to an eternal hell fire and call them, call them to repentance in Jesus Christ. Take, for example, if you saw an individual who was, whose house was on fire and you knew that they were going to be burned up forever, would you stop outside of their house and, and just leave them to burn up in their house? Would you leave them to burn in their house if you could have the remedy to say, get out of your house, your house is on fire. Your house is on fire, you must flee from this fire in your house. You would say, well, that is a merciful thing to do. But so many would say, if you call a man who is a sinner into repentance and you call that man to say you must repent of your sins, you would say, well, that is an unloving thing to do. But really, it is the most merciful thing that anyone could do because their souls are are going to face an eternity of hellfire. They are going to face God's judgment for eternity, where there will never be an escape. They will always be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will spend eternity in hell. And so we must call the sinner to repentance if we are to live out a life full of mercifulness. And if this individual fails to see the blessedness that they have been called to in Jesus Christ, you don't have to cast them out. You don't have to forget about them because you can always continue to pray for that lost soul. You can always continue to pray for that individual who will not see the light of Jesus Christ in that moment. Pray for them. Continually pray for them until the Lord convicts their heart where they see the state of their sin, the state of their life, and they repent of their sins and believe unto Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. One might ask the question, well, how do I have care for the soul of one who has already been saved? How do I care for the soul of one who has already been saved? Well, in a number of ways. The first way that we can care for the soul of one who has already been saved is to call them to repentance if they are struggling with sin. Certainly, we cannot call them to salvation because they already have salvation because of the free gift that they have received in Jesus Christ. But if they are struggling with a certain sin, we can call them to repentance. We can call them them out in the error of their ways. We can save them from the destruction that sin causes the life of an individual. We can call them to repentance. We can become an accountability partner for them. We can have mercy on their life by giving our time to this individual, by caring for this individual's need. As an individual struggles with some sort of addiction, whether it be sexual or or in, in drug use or whatever the case might be, we can have mercy on them, recognizing that they need help. They need help and we are called to be their accountability partner. We can give them our time. We can also pray for them. We can pray with them. We can read God's Word with them. We can do whatever it is that the Lord lays upon our heart to do for this individual. And as we do these things, helping our brother or sister in need, we are having mercy on them. Another example of how we can, have, how we can comfort the soul of our brother and sister in Christ is we can see that they are struggling. We can see that their heart is hurting whether they've lost a loved one or whether they have just lost their job or whether they have just lost a great friendship or whatever the case might be if we see that they are hurting we can have mercy on them by encouraging them by comforting them by sharing love by having love giving love to them calling them taking them out to coffee or giving them getting them lunch or bringing them food or whatever it is again that the lord lays upon your heart to help this individual we can have mercy on their souls by comforting them inviting them to church sitting down and reading God's Word with them, doing anything that you see fit to do in order to satisfy their souls that are hurting, comforting them, encouraging them, praying with them and reading God's Word to them. And as I have also previously mentioned, we can also apply mercy in meeting people's physical needs. Meeting people's physical needs uh, is a number. It can result itself in a variety of ways. There is not a limit to the amount of needs that we can meet for these individuals that are struggling or that are hurting or that are in need of mercy. This can be done by feeding the poor, clothing the naked, visiting those in prison, picking someone up when they have fallen down. In the case of the Good Samaritan, the story that we are all familiar with, the Good Samaritan had mercy on that man. All of these opportunities for applying mercy are endless, just as we have received endless mercy from God. Just as we have received the endless mercy from God, we ourselves are able to apply mercy to others. Well, you say to yourself, well, I don't have much to give. I don't have much to give. I don't have clothes. I don't have money. I myself need mercy. Well, if you find yourself in that state where you have nothing to give, encourage someone else who is able. Encourage someone else who is able to give. Encourage them to give. Encourage them to have mercy on others. You can have mercy on individuals indirectly. You may have nothing to give, but you can offer yourself even. You could do any of those things if you find yourself in the state where it is impossible for me to bring anything that would be merciful towards another. If we look back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, in the building of the tabernacle, We saw that individuals were bringing gold and silver, and bringing all sorts of wood, many valuable things. But there are also others in that community that were bringing goat's hair, bringing goat's hair, shaving the hair off of their goats and bringing that for the building of the tabernacle. It is not so much the amount of what you have that that you are able to bring, it is not so much in the amount of money that you are able to offer and the amount of goods that you are able to bring, but it is in the amount of the goodness that is filled within your heart that you are bringing these things to these individuals. You could bring goat's hair, and God sees it as pleasing before His sight if your heart is in the right place. You may have nothing to give. You may have nothing to give, but give of yourself. Do whatever it is that God enables you to do. The statement that our Lord says is true, but I caution you with this. God does not provide you with mercy as a result of you showing mercy to others. I've mentioned in this statement, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy This second portion where it says, for they shall receive mercy, implies that we shall receive mercy from God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy from God. It's not as if as we apply this mercy to individuals that God becomes our debtor and he says, oh, Dakota gave mercy today, i got to give him mercy back. Nope, God gives us mercy simply out of his mercy towards us. It is a free gift that He gives to to us. But God's Word promises to us that if we are merciful to others, that God will be merciful to us. I close with this story. A lot of us will be stirred up to perform actions of mercy after hearing a message like this. Hearing a message of giving mercy to mankind. Knowing that there are going to be many individuals that we're going to come across that may need mercy. But I encourage you, as you feel this emotion of mercy, act on it immediately before the busyness of life passes you by and you do not have mercy on this individual. Because you're going to feel mercy for an individual, but again, it is not true mercy if it is not manifested in the act. I use myself as an example. A few months ago, Pastor Richard and I went and took a tour of the Union Rescue Mission downtown. And as we took this tour of Union Rescue Mission downtown, uh, we were uh, Pastor Dan Anderson preached here uh, on Mission Sunday. It actually was uh, quite a few months ago in September. And we took this tour downtown and we were able to go through each floor that Union Rescue Mission had. Union Rescue Mission has about four or five floors on it. And each floor uh, has a different level of need for individuals. But on the third floor, when Pastor Dan took us up to the third floor, it was a floor that had the mothers and the children. And as I entered that floor and I saw those, those mothers with their children, the single mothers who had nothing to give to their children, we went into their, the kids' little play area. A play area, if you would call it even that. And as we went into that play area, Pastor Dan told us, he said, you know, we really want to help these kids. We want to give some things to these kids. We want to make these kids feel a little bit of a sense of normalcy. And my heart was stirred up for these individuals because I have three kids myself. And I couldn't imagine a kid living in that state, of, in the condition that those kids were living in. You see, in this little play area that these kids had, it was a, probably a 30, by 30, 30 foot by 30 foot room. All little bare concrete walls It had white paint on it, but they were all filthy and dirty. They had a couple tables in there, but no toys, nothing for the kids to play with. In fact, I saw a few kids that were just sitting on the floor doing nothing. And my heart ached for these individual kids and for their parents also. And I thought within myself, what can I do to help these individuals? And I said, well, I've got plenty of extra toys that my kids don't play with. I know that we've got plenty of paint here at the church that I, we could use and we can go down there and paint that room for those kids. I know that these kids could benefit from just having a play date with, the kids, with my kids and other kids that come, from, that come to this church. And I had this great sense of mercy for these individuals. My heart ached for these kids. I cared for these kids and I was full of mercy for them, or at least I thought I was. But then as I left that place and as we drove back to the church and as many, many months have passed by, I've done nothing for these kids. Nothing for these kids. I was filled with this full emotion to help these kids. But as the busyness of life ca- passed me by, I did nothing for them. And so I had a false sense of mercy for these kids. In my, outward, in, my, in my inward feeling, I said, well, yeah, I do feel mercy for them, but given the fact that it was not manifested by the act, it was a false sense of mercy I do not have true mercy on these individual kids. And so as I move forward this week, I am making it of my mission to go and to give these kids some toys. To give these kids some of the extra toys that we have here at the church. And to do something for these kids to apply that mercy, the mercy that that God has placed in my heart to have on these kids. And so I I use myself as an example for all of you. All of you are going to have this need or this feeling of mercy that you can have towards an individual. Some of you may have had it and you are remembering it even now and you've not done it yet. Go out and do it. Follow through with that mercy that you have because you know of the greatest mercy that God has given to you. And it's not as if I'm going to go there and to give these toys to these kids. I'm also going to tell them about Jesus Christ. I'm not going to just satisfy their temporal needs with some toys, but I'm also going to tell them of the free gift of salvation that they can have in Jesus Christ, who will never leave nor forsake them. These are kids who have nothing. Their fathers surely have left them, their mothers are there for them, it's only scraping by, and these kids have no hope, no nothing. And so surely I can give them this small little temporal hope of some toys, but I can give them the eternal hope that I have received in Jesus Christ. And so don't see of yourself as giving this temporal thing of of mercy as just kind of an offhand thing, but also see it as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the individual that you are applying mercy to. Whether it is to the homeless, whether it is to those that are hungry, whether it is to those that are hurting, see it as an opportunity extended to you to share the great gospel of Jesus Christ with their lost soul. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word here for us now. God, we thank You for the mercy that You have applied to our souls in the gift of Jesus Christ. God, as we move forward here now in, in, in observing also this, this worship time and, a, and observing communion time as Pastor Richard leads us in this time of communion, God, may our hearts be stirred. May our hearts be reminded of this great mercy that You had on every single one of us at our belief in Your precious Son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank You for the mercy of Your Son, Jesus, and it is in His name I pray these things. Amen.